Now, Fiona, do you think that there is a place for a Muppet Black Sales? Oh my gosh! Oh, I need it! <laughs> Welcome to Keep It Fictional, a weekly podcast for book lovers by book lovers. Build your to-be-read list with Sadie, Liz, Virginia, Fiona, and Corrine from the Port Moody Public Library. Warning, this podcast contains strong opinions and may cause an increase in your library holds list. Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Keep It Fictional Book Chat. My name is Sadie from the Port Moody Public Library, and I am here today to talk all about books because it is such a wonderful thing to talk about. And I am here with my colleagues today. We are here with Kareen. Hello. And Virginia. Hello. And Fiona. Yeah, and I'm a Kareen lookalike today because we wore the same outfit. <laughs> or I'm a Fiona lookalike. <laughs> which which wore it first? Which wore it better? Which wore it <laughs> just as well? <laughs> <laughs> and Liz is here as well. Hello, Liz. Hi. I missed the wardrobe memo, apparently. <laughs> well, you both got the gray, well. maybe? Great. That's true. Yeah. So there you go. Is it is it just me or does anyone else like aesthetically want to put us in like specific positions so that we have like Kareen and Fiona broken up so that it's not two identical outfits next to each other? No, it's just it's just me. No. Speak for yourself. I've got it perfectly arranged because uh Fiona and I are bookending Virginia who's in black and then little gray friends at the bottom. (laughs) There we go. I'll put us I'll put a screen crap screen cap up. Nope. I've disappeared everything. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we are not here to talk about fashion today, as fun as that would be. (laughs) We are here to talk all about books. And we are here specifically to talk about historical fiction. Uh, Now, I love historical fiction. I think if you listened to our retelling episode, we had a question about whether you would prefer to travel to the past or the future. And I am definitely prefer to travel to the past, uh, along with a couple of my colleagues as well, I think, uh, also enjoy the past. But I, um, I do love historical fiction. So this is a very fun episode for me. I read about a whole bunch of different time periods. Um, so I'm very excited to see what what my colleagues have brought today to read about. So we are going to start off today with Kareen. So Kareen, if you want to tell us what historical novel you have brought today. I sure do, Sadie. So I also enjoy reading historical fiction. I like a lot of historical romance. I like a lot of historical thrillers or mysteries. Um, always, always enjoy something that you learn a little bit about the past that reflects on the present. And I'm going to pigeonhole myself a little bit in that I have chosen a historical fiction book that is actually true crime. So I'm just kind of like sneaking it in there. The book that I have chosen to talk about is a debut novel, which when you read through it is astounding, absolutely astounding. It reads like a masterwork of a seasoned veteran in publishing. It is inspired by the author's trip to Iceland when they were in high school. 
And as they were going through one of the museums there, they came upon a bloody axe on display. Reading the little card, the little plaque that was by this, she learned that it had to do with Agnes Magnus Dotter. And I apologize, I do not speak Icelandic, so I'm pretty sure that is incorrect, who was the last person killed by capital punishment in Iceland in 1829. Obsessed by this story, by this idea of this this small island, this, this crime that kind of rent apart a society that was not used to or expecting this kind of violence to come out of a woman, but also seeking to kind of uncover the truth. In Iceland, Agnes is a bit of a Lady Macbeth figure, just pure evil filled with spite who murdered two people in cold blood. But the author wasn't sure that that was all there was to the story. And so in her kind of fictionalized version of true events, she seeks to uncover the layers behind Agnes and behind Agnes's act. This book is Burial Rites by Hannah Kent. And it starts with... Agnes being condemned to death for her crimes of cold-blooded murder of two men. However, because this is Iceland in 1829, they don't really have anywhere to put Agnes, a female prisoner of a capital offense. She can't really just be among the general prison populace. So what they decide to do for her final days is to take her to an isolated farmhouse and make her stay with a family there until the time of her execution. She is sent a young priest named Toti who goes to hear her final confession. And although at first he is repulsed by Agnes and repulsed by her acts, as she slowly starts to unravel her life story to him, he starts to gain a little bit of empathy and understanding and starts to see that the truth that he has been told about her case may not be the truth. So that book again is Burial Rites by Hannah Kent. I believe it is one of the only historical books that maybe Virginia has read and that we actually both agree on that is a fantastic read. It's dark, it's broody, it's twisty, it's psychological. I think it's a good wintertime book to just kind of like plumb the depths of the human experience um, and you'll come out changed after reading it. So I hope you enjoy. Sounds like it has some kind of like alias grace vibes. Do you think that's a fair comparison? I think that is a very, very, very fair comparison. Um, both the same idea, Agnes was a servant who eventually killed her former master and another man. So yeah, is a lot of that kind of intertwining stories a lot in common. Sounds very interesting. I might have to pick that one up. Unless you think it would be too, too much for me. Too much. <laughs> not, not for me. Not for me. <laughs> Remember Virginia likes it, so... The level of, yeah. Yeah, so if it's both of us, so you know that it's on the low low end, the end of, like, dark stuff, but probably a little bit darker than you're looking for. Yes. Too dark. Too dark. All right. All right. Maybe not then. 
All right, Liz, is your historical read also dark and twisted? It's not, actually. Surprise, surprise. Uh, I decided to read something else for a change, um, something that got a lot of great buzz when it came out. I think it was around 2016 when it was first published. It's been on my to-be-read list since that time. Um, and though I just finished reading it recently, that wait did not disappoint. So this one is called A Gentleman in Moscow, and it's by Amor Tolls. This book takes place in the Stalin era of Russia, or the USSR. Uh, and it follows the Bolshevik Revolution of 1917, um, when the Tsar was overthrown. So uh, our gentleman in Moscow here, his name is Count Alexander Ilyich Rostov. He is an aristocrat who has been sentenced by a Bolshevik tribunal not to death, but rather to a lifetime of house arrest at the Hotel Metropole, where he already resided. Following his sentence, he is unceremoniously marched back to the hotel and has his living quarters downgraded from a luxurious suite to some cramped staff quarters up on some remote floor accessible only by stairs. Despite his aristocratic background, Count Rostov doesn't pity himself and rather seeks to make the most of his new life within the confines of the hotel. So he develops a routine where he says hello to the concierge, reads the paper in the morning, has a lovely breakfast in one of the restaurants. He has his weekly haircuts downstairs at the barbershop. He'll have a lovely lunch and then also a lovely dinner at one of the other fine dining establishments within the hotel. However, one day his routine is disrupted when a nine-year-old girl who is temporarily staying at the hotel because of her father's job approaches him and he enchants her with stories of his time being an aristocrat and having met many wonderful highborn people, including other counts and countesses, and even princesses. So this nine-year-old girl, Nina, is enchanted. And as a result, they strike up a fast friendship. Now, this is perfect timing because Count Rostov has, despite making the best of his circumstances, uh, has sort of found his routine to become a little bit boring. So Nina, with her childlike wonder, takes the count through all of the secret areas of the hotel and opens his eyes to all of the possibilities of this world within the hotel. So now the years pass, Count Rostov becomes fully ingrained into the lives of the other staff of the hotel who treat him as a friend and a confidant. And on occasion, Nina does return to the hotel as she grows older. Now on one particular occasion, she is an adult by then, she's married, she has a child, and she brings something with her. And she asks the Count to accept what she brings. Sight unseen, she must go, but she must know immediately whether she can leave this precious thing with him. And I won't tell you what that is because I don't want to spoil it for you, but this changes his life in a whole, amazing way and ways that he 
could not have foreseen. So that's Gentlemen in Moscow by Amor Tools. If you're looking for something that uh, involves a bit of history, but without delving too deeply into comrades and communism, but still seeing how it impacted the lives of Russian people. If you're looking for a charming story about making the best of your circumstances and how being able to connect with other people, despite your environment and despite your circumstances, uh, can really uplift somebody, then this may be the book for you. Like someone recommended that book to me quite a while ago, and I've yet to read it, but it's been on my to-be-read list for quite a while. So I think uh, now might be the time, Liz. I think you'd like it, Sadie. Excellent. Well, next we are going to go to Fiona. Fiona, what historical read have you brought for us today? All right. Thank you. (laughs) Um, so I've been in a little bit of a reading drought lately. I'm kind of reading like a whole bunch of things, like one chapter at a time, just picking them up very casually. So I ended up going back to something I read a long time ago, uh, which is, uh, The Birth House by Amy McKay. And so I imagine a lot, you have read this already, but if you haven't, you are in for a treat because this is a really nice, um, engaging fall read or it has I guess I say a fall read because it feels like it's sort of cozy in the way that I find a lot of historical fiction to be. Uh, So it is set in World War One in Scotts Bay, Nova Scotia and I certainly enjoyed reading about that place because I am from Nova Scotia Um, and it follows the story of Dora Rare who at age 17 moves in with the community midwife to learn to become a midwife and her mentor Mrs. B is a little bit of an outcast some people call her a witch but the community also needs her and she's the person that they go to and trust with uh, childbirth so while she's not really a part of the community socially she plays a really important role and Dora gets used to a life of sort of a similar situation And so at the same time that Dora is learning to become a midwife, Dr. Thomas sets up a modern maternity home in the community and is trying to convince all the women that uh, it's safer and less painful to come to him than to rely on traditional midwifery. So Dora's training is eventually interrupted by her marriage to Archer, and she is has high hopes for this marriage. Um, She wants to have a wonderful romance and all of that is crushed. (laughs) And she ends up in a horrible horrible marriage with uh, a drunkard who is just awful to her and doesn't support her being a midwife. Um, Throughout Dora's story, she uh, has many hardships uh, and challenges but it's ultimately an uplifting story uh, about community and that really highlights the overlooked history of of midwives and uh, a time in which the place of women in childbirth was being undermined by male doctors. Um, So I found that very interesting and it was one of those ones that does like sort of, it felt like a page turner to me. I felt very engaged in it and I couldn't put it down and just like it, it was, it was like being there. Um, her writing is very, 
very beautiful and engaging. And I guess when I read historical fiction, I do tend to read a lot of like chiclet, which is what I would, would call this. And it's not that, I don't think like chiclet is not inherently a bad thing. Uh, I think that it's a really important sort of like to promote female voices and especially when thinking about historical fiction, you know, to, to make sure that those voices are present. But I can, I'm cautious of them because often they are really centered on white women. And while that's not, you know, an issue within just one story for a whole genre, it's something that I've kind of like stepped away from because it's like, oh, I need to make sure that I'm, I'm reading more than just about white women historically. And I do find I was really disappointed because I, I loved Amy McKay's writing and then went and read her other stuff and it just was not for me. It really felt in that vein of like, oh, you, could, you could get out there and maybe get some different perspectives. But I'm kind of digressing from my original point, which is that it's a really, um, yeah, a really, really excellent read um, and in isolation is definitely something that um, I would recommend if you haven't read it already. Yeah. <laughs> I'm wondering, I, I saw Kareen's head moving a lot there. I imagine you've read it. A long time ago, but yes. Yeah. I remember it being like uplifting a little bit. It's funny when you said she hopes her marriage is going to turn out really well. And I was like, mm, it's not how it's going to be. Excellent. Well, thank you, Fiona. So it is time for our existential crisis, existential question of the episode. So thinking about histories, thinking about futures, and all of that in regards to books, the question I have for our team today is, do you like prequels? Do you like sequels? Do you have a favorite prequel, a favorite sequel? What is your take kind of on the before and after of a book or before and after of a series? I mean, obviously prequels are great if we're talking about the Star Wars films. Um, greatest prequels of all time. Just going back to that original source material and diluting it and diluting it and diluting it until you get nothing. Nothing. Yeah, um, <laughs> I, I like a series continuation where it's in the same world, but not necessarily the same characters. Because if you're writing a series, like you should really wrap up those people's stories. But if it's a, it's like a sequel to a series and you see some of those characters from the other one who are just kind of like walking by and like waving or doing something fun. I think that's that's enjoyable. Um, prequels I do not care for because I know what's going to happen. So what's the point? It's like the Hunger Games one. I don't care. That's, that's fine. Not interested. Yeah, I agree. I really like when an author continues a story in the same world and you see the characters. I, I quite enjoy that when they make appearances and you're like, hey, I know them. I know them. <laughs> um, I, I am always very hesitant about prequels or sequels when they don't have to do with the same characters as well though because I'm like I I really like these characters do I want to read about other people but I feel like if it's if the author does a good job that I'm I get into it as well 
I have complicated feelings, of course. Um, I do appreciate an author who doesn't, who knows when to stop and doesn't like, is it just like, ah, oh, prequels to my prequels and sequels to my sequels and offshoots. And, like milk it, milk it, milk it, milk it. Yeah. But um, I'm a big fan of, on the other hand, authors like um, Ursula K. Le Guin, what she does with her Earth Sea series, like um, she's, she's passed on now passed away now um, and isn't writing anymore, but she would periodically sort of like write a short story that happened in the universe that usually wasn't about, um, would be about new characters. And, and she just had this like such a, a complete idea of her world that she was just like, oh, I'm just gonna reach in and find that story. And that's kind of how she talks about her writing process. It's just like, oh, what was this period of time like? I'm gonna write it. Um, so I do, I really like hers. And I wanna give a shout out for an amazing prequel show to um, the, um, oh my gosh. <sighs> yeah, I know so much. When you lose that word, when you're in the middle of talking and it's suspense to even you, Treasure Island. Okay, Treasure Island, there's a prequel show called Black Sails and it is the best thing in the whole world because it takes uh, like pirate history for the beginning and then like Treasure Island and the timeline is like what happens if we went to, from like golden era um, piracy in history to Treasure Island and it's like what happens in between. It's real great. I'm sorry, Black Sails is a prequel to Treasure Island, like Jim Hawkins, Long John Silver. Are you? Yeah. No. That's why his name is Long John Silver. I haven't watched the show, but <laughs> <laughs> that doesn't seem like it's a gritty pirate story. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Like a gritty pirate story. Yeah. As a prequel to the children's book, <laughs> Treasure Island. Also, to bring back a conversation we were having in one of our other chats, a wonderful Muppet rendition has yes. been done. <laughs> the definitive version. Okay, so Black Sails is the prequel to Muppet Treasure. Wow, you've blown my mind, Fiona. You've blown my mind. Now, Fiona, do you think that there is a place for a Muppet Black Sails? Oh my gosh. Oh, I need it. <laughs> I'm writing Henson Studios right now. <laughs> All right, everyone keep your eyes open for a Muppet version of Black Sails. <laughs> All right. Uh, Liz or uh, Virginia, do you have strong feelings for prequels, sequels? How, how do you feel? I don't mind a good sequel, provided it's just not extending the story for the sake of extending the merchandising and the book sales and the money flowing in. Um, yeah, prequels, though, it, I've, I've already... I already, if I already like the characters where they are in, in, in any given place and time where a book or a book series has left off, I don't know if I necessarily need to know how they got there beyond what was in the original work. So 
I'm, I'm good with sequels. Virginia, do you have strong feelings, strong thoughts on this one way or the other? Not really. I think because give you a plan, like it's different if you're planning a series, right? That's like, this is what you're doing. That's different. Like, because then I can see that you're not, like Liz said, you're not just milking it and like, oh, you know, this is successful. Let's just do it. Like, and I, I don't like it when it's like after like 10 years, suddenly it's like, ooh, we're doing a prequel. Like, I don't care. Like, you know, like it's just, yeah. So I, I don't, I don't like that. Um, And I can't even think of like, a, a prequel book that I read, like what Corinne said earlier, if you're going to do it, do some completely different people. You should have already got that story in your books already. Give it as a series, right? But no, don't really care for prequel, sequel, whatever. Fair enough. I have a related question. When someone comes into the library and they, they want to read a series and in that series, there is already a prequel written. Where do you tell them to start? Do you tell them to start where what was published first or what happens first in the universe? I'd go published first because usually I feel like if we're talking about like like proper prequel, it's written after the entire series is done and they want to go back and like set the record straight for things. So I think like if you're starting a series, you should start where the author, where George Lucas intended for you to start the series. See, once, once you talk about the whole Star Wars thing, I, I can't, like, I mean, this whole prequel, sequel question is like, no, no thanks. It's a moot question. Yeah. Well, it's interesting because I feel like prequels are a somewhat, like, modern development because of the short ebooks that you can publish online. Like, there's not a ton of, like, book series that go back and do, like, a, a strict prequel. I feel like it's it's a more moderny thing to do. Um, but yeah, I don't, I just hate prequels and maybe that's just the Phantom Menace speaking. I don't know. Yeah. It's ruin it all for everything. All right. Well, on that note, I am going to tell you about my historical read. Uh, as I mentioned at the beginning, this is a genre that I read quite a bit of. So I had a lot to pull from and I had to choose kind of which which time period I wanted to talk about today. And um, the book that I chose falls into a kind of a niche historical interest of mine. And that is the Jacobite Revolution and the Jacobite Rising in the 1700s in Scotland. Um, so if you are familiar with the Outlander series, uh, this that series does touch on this quite a bit, um, mostly in the first book, a little bit in the books following that as well. Um, and the basic idea of it is that the Stuart line in Scotland, they were trying to put a Stuart back on the throne, take the throne back from England and have a Scottish king back on the throne. So the book that I am talking about is called The Winter Sea, and it is by Susanna Kearsley. And this book actually takes place historically about 40 years earlier um, than the Jacobite Rising in the Outlander series. And this talks about the initial Jacobite Rising and the initial push to get James Stewart back onto the Scottish throne. And this book tells a story in a way that I always really like. I've, I think I've talked about books like this um, on this chat before, where you have a story in the present day as well as a story happening uh, historically in the past. And so the story in the past takes place in the year 1708. 
And in the spring of 1708, the Jacobite fleet of French and Scottish soldiers almost succeeded in getting exiled King James Stuart back onto the Scottish throne. Almost. But they didn't. And there was a lot that happened in between to try and get him back on the throne. So that is the story that takes place in uh, in the past. In the future or in the present day, we have writer Carrie McClelland. And she is convinced that she is going to write an, an, her next bestseller. She's determined to write her bestseller. And she's decided that to do that, she is going to write a historical story from the perspective of one of her ancestors. And so she travels to Scotland. She goes and she stays by the Slane's Castle in Scotland. And she starts writing the story from the perspective of one of her ancestors. Now, as you all probably know, I love a book that has just a little bit of magic in it. Uh, So what starts to happen, Carrie starts to have these dreams and she'll wake up from these dreams and she'll know exactly what she wants to write. She knows exactly how she wants to tell this story of the past. And then as she starts doing her research, she starts to realize that these dreams might not just be dreams, that she might actually be experiencing the things that her ancestor actually experienced in the 1700s. Uh, So she kind of goes on and she starts to learn more about this Jacobite rising. She starts to learn more about what happened during this time at the Slane's Castle, how her ancestor was involved in all of this. And she starts to learn that there was a betrayal that went on uh, to do with getting the king back on the throne and something that led to James Stewart not being able to be brought back onto the Scottish throne. And so this is the story of her writing this book, learning about her family, learning about her ancestors, as well as learning about the history of the area and the history of uh, the Stuart line. Uh, There's a little bit of romance thrown in because why not? Why not throw some romance in? Always good in the Scottish Highlands to throw some romance in. Um, Virginia is shaking her head, but (laughs) I think a couple of us, I I saw some nods from Corrine there. (laughs) Um, so yeah, so it's a wonderful book. I read it quite a few years ago. It came out, I believe, uh, in 2010. So not a uh, super new book, but, uh, just a really kind of similar to what you were saying, Fiona, I think it's just a really cozy book. Like it just makes me think of cold nights in the Scottish highlands or along the Scottish coast and just kind of being wrapped up in a warm blanket and and reading about uh, about this history. So that again is The Winter Sea by Susanna Kearsley. I'm a big fan of books that have a like present day storyline and a historical storyline. Yeah I love those ones. And it turns out everyone is related. Yeah. What? All right, for our final book of the day, we have Virginia. What book did you bring to talk about today, Virginia? The person that does not read historical fiction is last. Um, This might actually be an answer to Fiona's, um, you know, looking for more books about different perspectives. And it also, it's involved midwives. So it is uh, Conjure Women 
by Afia Atakura. This book is set in the pre and post Civil War era in America, and the story takes place on a plantation. And we go through the lives of the people that live there through the eyes of a mother and daughter, Miss Maybell, and her daughter Rue. When Rue was growing up, she watched her mother work as a healer, as the midwife, and people come to her mother for comfort, not just to for health concerns, but also for other things. Her mother is the problem solver, is the person who takes care of everybody, and when Rue. Watch her mother work. She often wonder, does her mother have magic? What kind of powers does her mother actually have, or is it just her remembering seeing things that is not real? Then her mother died, and Rue had to take up what her mother does and do what her mother does. And she knows she whatever her mother that can do, she can. And so she's worried about not being able to fulfill the role that her mother has been doing for the community. And then things start to get bad. One night, she delivered a child, a baby, and one look at the baby, everybody knows there's something wrong. The skin is too pale, and the babies have eyes like rude things that they look like black-eyed beans, and and that's actually how how he got the name Bean. And Bean cried like no other babies ever cried, and and no one could calm Bean down like Rue can. Not even his own parents. And 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 his mother Sarah often said to Rue like, "This is this is not my child." And people started to get scared. People started to to get suspicious of Bean and what Bean is. And then kids start getting sick, and they start dying. And no matter what Rue does, nothing could. Save them, and and she can't she can't heal them, and so people started to get angry. They started to get suspicious of Rue, suspicious of Bean, saying that she's not a healer, she's a witch. And then the war ended. They were told the master have gone to war. They probably perish in war, and now they are free. And many of them could potentially go wherever they want to go, but. They don't really know what to do. They don't have anywhere to go. So many of them just stay in their little isolated plantation, dealing with this new reality. Then a charismatic preacher came to town, and as people were losing hope in Rue, starting to get more and more suspicious of what she does in in the woods, in the forest, telling stories about her doing things that she shouldn't be doing. This charismatic preacher came in and and brought them hope, brought them. Faith and people started to turn towards him instead of Rue for protection, for guidance, for advice, and Rue knows they are going to turn against her and turn against Bean, and she has to do something to protect them. The story is told in the and sort of it jumps from different time frame to different times, and as the author named them, slavery time, war time, and freedom time, and it goes through the different time frames. It goes through the different Perspectives, so it's it's for readers who like sort of a non-linear kind of story that sort of unfolds in pieces, and it's historical fiction, so if you give you the sense of time, the sense of place, but it's also very much a personal and very interpersonal kind of story. It's very much about the relationships, especially of the women that live there, between mother and daughter, Maybell and Rue, 
between the sort of the nurture role that they took with the community, between Ru and the daughter of the master, how they're all sort of tied to this place. And the author in an interview said that she she wanted to write a slavery story that is focusing on the time just after the war had ended. And, and it's, it's not a, a story that has been told that frequently. She wants to kind of explore that, that time when, like, the psychological trauma that these people must have gone through from one day being owned by someone, from one day being like you're told that your life doesn't belong to you, to suddenly now you're so-called free. But what does that free mean? What does freedom mean to them? And, and in exploring that, kind of reflecting, of course, on, on the world that we live in now, what does, what does that mean? So if you're interested in uh, stories that are, that are sort of what Fiona talked about, a, a much needed kind of a, a different a missing perspective, a missing story in this, in sp- this period of time, um, I would highly suggest uh, checking out Conjure Women by Afia Atakora. It does sound really great. I think I will definitely check that one out. Thank you, Virginia. All right. Well, we have come to the end of our historical fiction book chat on Keep It Fictional. Uh, So thank you, everyone, for joining us today. Thank you for tuning in. And thank you to Virginia, Fiona, Liz, and Kareen as well for sharing your historical reads. I think we got a wide range of different kinds of historical reads. So that is excellent. Um, I always appreciate that about these book chats because we all have such varied tastes that we always get a lot of variety in in the books that we bring forward, which is wonderful. All right, everyone, we will see you again next week. So don't forget to tune in to Keep It Fictional and we will see you again soon. Thanks, everyone. Bye. Thank you for listening. If you like our show, please tell a fellow book lover about it. You can find a list of all the books we discussed in our show notes. Join us next week for another fun book chat. Until then, keep it fictional. Mm -hmm.